0: welcome to the loved called gifted podcast this is your place to come for musings about spirituality identity and purpose i'm your host Catherine cowell Absolutely delighted this episode to be joined by Joe Davis to talk about how faith changes over the course of a lifetime and what we might do about that. So do you want to introduce yourself, Joe? That would be fab.
1: I'm Joe Davis. Hello, everyone. It's great (laughs) to be here on Catherine's podcast. So I'm very (laughs) excited to be here. You know, I'm a Baptist minister, but notoriously most known for doing another podcast called The Mid-Faith Crisis with my dear friend who we must mention, Nick Page. So, yeah, I'm contractually obliged to mention him every time I speak. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so yeah. So uh, that's all you need to do. I do funerals for a living, basically. I've got some great people around me, like my family, uh, Rachel, and uh, two kids who are grown up.
0: That's brilliant. Thank you very much. <laughs> so the reason I asked you if you wouldn't mind having this conversation is that having listened to the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast, I already knew that sort of stages of faith and what happens to people kind of on their faith journey was something Mm. that you've been thinking about for quite a long time. Yeah. Um, And I had been thinking that this would be a really good thing to have a conversation about. And then joined in an online gathering that you were hosting for the Mid-Faith right. Crisis podcast, during which you made the comment that you'd been thinking about stages of faith for about 10 years. Yeah. And I thought that would make mm. this an interesting mm. conversation. And having reflected, I know that because you invite quite a lot of contributions, mm from people for the Mid-Faith Crisis podcast Mm. and you read emails and stuff and host gatherings, you have actually, as well as sort of having your own journey, you have had a window into lots and lots of people's journeys.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's been an enormous privilege. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yes. So I wonder if we could start off, if you wouldn't mind sort of talking about stages of faith and how that works. Sure.
1: Sure. Yeah. So this was, you know, years ago, this was new. I'd never heard of stages of faith. I just thought you grew and grew and you acquired more knowledge and got more and more certain and more and more faithful. And, uh, you know, probably more and more of an absolute pain in the neck to be honest. But I, you know, I, I didn't know there was such a thing as stages of faith. But what I've now come to realize is that there is meant to be a time in your faith journey where the whole lot falls apart. And you, it feels like you are building with new foundations again. Why had nobody told me that earlier? I suppose <laughs> that's my that's my biggest question about it all. <laughs> Why? So, so James Fowler, a chap called James Fowler, he's an academic and he he's really the father of stages of faith. If you Googled Stages of Faith, I imagine his name would probably come up near. but he's quite academic and, and he's not really quite my thing, but but basically, all the teachers I now respect and understand all talk about this very simple idea that the early stages of faith are about order, then comes disorder, and then comes reorder. So there's a simple three-stage one. I think Brian McLaren in his books has four stages. He has simplicity, complexity, perplexity, uh, ending back at harmony. I love that. But you know whether you have eight stages of faith or seven or six or five there's various different ways to skin this cat you know it's not a very nice face uh, but uh, <laughs> but however you do it there is this idea that you know the journey starts and it's all positive and it's all great and it's all fine and you know all is well something happens the whole lot falls apart and that would be typically people would leave the church and just say, do you know what? I've outgrown it. I don't, you know, there's nothing in it. All. That was childish. And, Cause they're trying to live their lives with the Sunday school faith. And they've realized it doesn't. work. Actually. I, you know, my conviction and many others convictions is actually the, the mid faith crisis, as we call it, the, the, the moment that the faith journey starts to fall apart for you with all the questions that you have, how can there be a God of love with so much suffering? Why doesn't God, in, why does God, answer some prayers and not other prayers. Why did God give this person a parking space and yet allowed that child to die? Why doesn't God heal people? You know, once once you've journeyed to actually there's an invitation and the invitation is to a a much more expansive view, I think, of the divine and of of yourself and of other people and of life and a a greater and deeper connectedness, not just with your tribe, but actually your humanity. So it's really important to to understand it. Would it be helpful to talk briefly about six stages that I think typify it, in case there are people out there who think, I've never heard of stages of faith? So,
0: yeah. I would be yeah. I think, I, I, I think I, yeah, go
1: for it. That would be great. Well, so like I say, many ways to do this, but I quite like the uh, categories used by a guy called Chris Urban. He says the first stage is is sort of like the first awakening. And I think this resonates for people who like do go on an alpha course. is where you just become aware that there's more going on yeah. you, you know, there's somehow you, that there is a spiritual side to life is undeniable and that's when you need a guide and you do need to get yourself of course or you need to see someone or you need a friend who can uh journey through with it and then the, so that's the first stage the second stage is sort of believing and belonging and that's where you learn the rules you know who's in who's out and um you know you can often get stuck there but um but, but, you know, it's, it's a really important stage. That's when you are chomping like the caterpillar. and you love energy. You just can't get enough. You're learning, 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 and you have no reason to disbelieve the authority figures that are teaching you at that time, because they're the people who surely know. Mm. Um, and then stage three. And this is often seen as the end of the church. In most of our churches our service and leadership. You've made it. You know, you've learnt the rules. Now you're starting to serve, you're serving in the mission team, you're on the worship team, you're a youth leader, you you know, whatever. Or you're, better still, you're a missionary, because they're really high up the hierarchy, or, you know, a minister of a church. You know, you've made it. Service, and you're fully purpose-driven. That's it. And you get left there by most churches. And I'm not being critical of churches, because I'm not sure they can take you any further than that. But that is the halfway point of the journey, really, I think. But, but the next stage is where it gets messy. And that is the kind of what I call the mid-faith crisis. You, you know, if only there was a podcast who could help us. At this point. Oh, but, you no,
0: know, you know everybody.
1: I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got a friend called Nick Page who I must mention. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but that's, you know, that's very often the wall. And it's a very vulnerable time mm-hmm. for all kinds of reasons. So if you don't have a guide or some friends or someone wise around you, you will lose it then. But the invitation, I always think theology and psychology and all those things should never have been separated because the journey to finding your authentic self, who you really are, is the same as the journey to discovering God. And you discover that God is not a being out there, separate to us, you know, a galaxy far, far away. But God is, as you were suggesting, you know, the ground of the being. Yeah. God is in all, and God is inside me. And actually, rather than trying to connect with a God who is somehow out there, we have to summon God to be in here. we long to be in God's presence. You realize, oh yeah, no, God is constantly present. God mm-hmm. is within me, and I can connect with God in me. So that I mean there's lots to say about that stuff. In fact, there's 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 at least two hundred and thirty-six episodes of a podcast in that one stage. <laughs> but <laughs> but stage five is moving out again because I think you do you do push through that and it it requires real humility and it requires authenticity and honesty about yourself and your fragility and those things like sin that we talked about you know we're so you know we're so ashamed to talk about it's time to be honest with yourself about life your life and other people's lives you know let's let's start being who we really are with one another and and that leads to a sort of what what some people call serving again and that looks like the earliest stages, except you've got a whole different basis. You're not doing things out of guilt or because you should please this God who desperately needs to be appeased. You're, you start doing stuff because you want to do it, because actually being a loving, kind, serving person is sort of who you're created to be. And it feels pretty good, hmm. actually. It's not it's not a slog. You know, we we were brought up in the tradition, that talked about carrying your cross and sacrifice and all that sort of stuff, and always well, felt terribly guilty if we didn't do what the pastor asked you to do. But so now it's like you got I don't know living water inside that just kind of refreshes you. And then the last stage of any model, I think, of stages of faith, is this sense of contented abiding in God. It's just like, oh yeah, I've not got a magic God up. I'm not going to try and do all these things to please an essentially unpleasable God who is remote and distant. No, I'm just, I'm in it. This this is God all around me. Mm. I'm in God and God is in me and God is in everyone. So now I can give respect and dignity to people of no faith and other faiths and, you know, people who are straight or gay or, you know, they're just beautiful, beautiful people. That's that's all there is. And broken and hurting people, or disruptive and difficult people. No mistake about that. But nonetheless, yes. wonderful human beings. Um, so I think I think that's a that's a brief <laughs> that sort of think- runs through the journey. And you're absolutely right to say it's not linear. It's no. I I think it's cyclical, and I think you go from stage one to stage six to three, two. You know, you don't go one, two, three, four, five, six. So I'm there. Yeah, you know, none at all. We're we're just constantly rotating around. It always amazes me how. Well, if I if I make it personal about myself, I mean, I am capable of being quite mature and quite quite on it on a good day, and then other days I am like a little child. I'm so immature, <laughs> you know, and I think. That is also true of the journey of faith. It's like you grasp one thing and you can say, "Oh, I've really got that," but you're but you're immature in so many other ways. Well, I am. That's the, one of the complexities and paradoxes of being a human being. It's, we're not immature one day and mature the next. We're like simultaneously, you know, got it together in one area and then really immature in another, and sort of okay in one area and it just drifting in and out. And I think the faith journey is a bit, a little bit like that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I think, I think that's right. It's a really, that's a really, really helpful model. I think.
1: Yes, yeah, it's, it's good to get your head round.
0: Yes, and I think one of the one of the more comprehensible ones that I've come across. <laughs> so thank you very much for that.
1: So do you, would you like me to give you a bit of the history of it? Teresa of Avila is the sort of earliest mystic I know of, but I think, I think Nick would talk about early church fathers who. Yeah. much of whom reflect that sort of one. And, and she had this lovely model, and this is reflected in Alan Jameson's book, Chrysalis, this idea of a caterpillar. And, and this is brilliant, because a caterpillar is two creatures in its lifetime, because it's a caterpillar initially, and then it's a butterfly, which blows your mind a little bit anyway. But <laughs> the, the metaphor is simply this. You start your life as a caterpillar, your Christian journey, and here's what it's like. You love everything. You're chomping, you know, like a caterpillar is born onto its vi- environment. Basically, eats everything. You love going to church, and you love being part of a home group. And you love singing songs, and you love, you know, you just love the whole experience. You're very enthusiastic. Chomp, 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 chomp. But interested in the caterpillar's life cycle, there comes a moment where it can eat no more, mm. and it it goes into this meltdown. I mean, I, I, I assume the scientific word is metamorphosis, but, you know, i prefer meltdown. <laughs> you, hang by, you hang by a thread onto this thing that has given you so much life. And, and it all sort of falls apart. And it's a very necessary and important part of the journey to becoming a butterfly. And then, of course, it does emerge from this christeness to become what it's meant to be. Which is this extraordinary creature that can now fly freely? It's not confined to one area anymore, and it can fly freely. So Teresa of Avila got there. She used the illustration of work, Same thing. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that that really resonates very deeply with me. And I think it's mirrored in the Bible stories. You know, there's a fantastic passage in Acts 10 uh, where you know Peter goes up on a roof and he has a vision and he's he's told to basically not do what the Bible tells him to. So what do you do do you obey the voice of God or do you go against scripture mm. I mean that that's a sort of mind-blowing event but I think that is also uh, very poignant for uh, for the church at the moment as it's wrestling with scripture over issues like same-sex marriage and all that sort of stuff you know you know how do you view scripture It's a massive thing that you're going to have to work through in your faith journey yeah because a very simplistic understanding it always starts with simplicity it's oh it's all true it's all the word of God everything you believe every word it's factual. And then people start to go, well, no, maybe it wasn't, maybe the world wasn't created in seven days. We can we can take that that's allegorical. Then you move on, I think, and you start to question a whole lot as you rightly should, uh, I think, yeah.
0: Yeah, and the, as as you said kind of early on, the, the fact that nobody expects it. Yeah. Uh, really, really kind of can mess with your head. I, it, so the, it, it's really difficult yeah it does i think i mean it it strikes me that we're quite good at expecting people to do the exploring at the beginning so adults yeah. who are coming to faith so the yeah. the alpha course is great get them on an alpha course yeah <laughs> yes Come on, of course, and you can ask any question you like, and you can think what you want, and we'll sit there and we're we'll very patient with you. Yeah. But the expectation is that you will then end up with your cheat card and your box with everything neatly organised in it, and then your job is to protect your box and to keep it all neatly organised for the next 40, 50 years. And there's not an expectation that anything will change. So we, so we have the tools as a Christian community to enable yeah. people to have space to search, but often. There's kind yeah. of an unwillingness to deal with that once you've got a bit further on.
1: Yeah. Well, and also, I think that what what evangelicalism in particular has done is sort of got rid of questioning. I mean, I think our yes. faith was always meant to question. So even on an alpha course, the idea is that you have questions, but hang on, we have answers. So I, you know, I'm, I'm part <laughs> of a small church community where we unashamedly don't have answers. But we embrace the mystery and the paradoxes involved in, in life. So I think that's different. And and the questions you have earlier on in faith are different yeah. to the questions when you've wrestled and struggled. And life has just hit you. You know, maybe you've lost a child or or maybe you've been made redundant or you're facing a really serious illness, or there's been a, a breakdown of a really significant relationship. You know, those kind of things life hits you in the face, you know, and it's like, well, how does my face really, you know, relate to this and interact with it? what, how does, how does what I'm hearing on a Sunday engage with my life as I'm actually experiencing it and living it? And often there can be a bit of a mismatch there. So, so the crisis comes.
0: It's when the thing that's happening in your life or the thing that's happening in the life of somebody you love mm-hmm. disagrees with the way that you've been told life works.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so yeah all exactly going, right.
0: <laughs> we're all going to be married for always, yeah. um, and then and then somebody's marriage breaks down. Yeah, we are all meant to be heterosexual, and then your best friend. Oh, absolutely. Tells yeah. us that they're not. Yeah. There's a whole list of things, depending which faith community you're sort of starting at.
1: Exactly. Um, and it's difficult because, you know, those faith communities are very shiny, happy places. And you've got a very clear, let you say, very clear idea of what the perfect Christian life should look like. And you can end up feeling very guilty that you're clearly not the perfect Christian. You're falling below these standards because, you know, you're not like the perfect people who are leading the worship or the the minister or whatever wherever it happens to be. Yeah. Uh, it can be a very lonely and isolating experience. So that's why it's so important to talk about it uh, on forums like, like this. So thank you. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One of my comments would be on your summary is that actually not for everybody does it all fall apart at once in one go. So I think it's sometimes it's more gradual and it feels more gradual if you've got people around you who you yeah. can play with. So I was, I was thinking in preparation for this, I was thinking back to kind of where were the first times that I had moments when Mm -hmm. there was some questioning. And actually, I think that happened fairly early on. Right. Because I was part of a fairly rigid, clear about everything evangelical church, and I'd come into that as an outsider. So there were things that just didn't gel with me and that I never quite agreed with. So I was never convinced that Barn dances and Cliff Richard could possibly be of the devil. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> I know, for taste reasons, some people might. <laughs> but theologically, um yeah. I could I could never quite bring myself to wear a hat during the work. <laughs> yeah, day. of course, yeah. <laughs> but why not?
1: The Bible says wear a hat. I mean, come on. <laughs> you so liberal Catherine.
0: <laughs> i know completely completely and then <laughs> and then there was a sort of a, a realization that there was a bit of a mismatch between the way that they saw life and the uh-huh. way that it actually was it was a comment about alcohol that that sort of mm. opened a chink for me and the pastor mm. said that one of the reasons that he didn't drink was because if anybody saw him with half a glass of wine, then they would not say the pastor drinks moderately occasionally, they would say the pastor drinks. And I had also in my head the kind of conversations that I would have with my dad, which included comments like, Well, Bill never drank very much. He never had more than about six pints. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, Good man. and I thought <laughs> such a moderate. <laughs> yes. I thought no, it is the case that people can tell the difference between somebody who drinks loads and somebody who drinks a bit occasionally. So and of was, course,
1: of course, Jesus was never accused of being a drunkard, was he? So yeah, never,
0: which... never, no, no. no. <laughs> well, there were, <laughs> there were all sorts of explanations about about why, and, and and you can kind of why Jesus actually served very low alcohol wine at Cana, apparently. that's right. Oh watch it's such a cheapskate Jesus, isn't it? Honestly. So apparently the best wine they have ever had. <laughs> yeah, it is.
1: Low alcohol. It's very much like that today, isn't it? I mean you've yeah. gotta love low alcohol wine. It
0: was Lambrini, you know. So...
1: <laughs> oh dear. So... We laugh but we're crying inside up because we relate to these stories so much, yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. So I think there were moments and I ended up involved in something called Church Without Walls, having been thrown out of a church, oh, um, oh, oh. Been thrown out of a Pentecostal church for organising an unauthorised prayer meeting. As oh. you're <laughs> not getting permission
1: to pray. Honestly? Oh,
0: I know. Terrible. You're
1: such a rebel.
0: <laughs> <Yes>.
1: <laughs> Praying willy nilly.
0: <laughs> yeah. The irony didn't escape, <laughs> but um, but we ended up in a community called Church Without Walls and there was, mm. there were lots of opportunities there for conversation and I ended up sort of facilitating that for a while. And I think I would describe my journey as if you imagine faith as being a bit like an island. Yeah. Um, I started off in a small part of a sort of fairly large Christian island and then realised that there were lots of different ways of mm. doing things and lots of different yeah. ways of seeing things and became quite, comfortable with that and gradually address different questions along the way but then there sort of came a point when the falling apart became bigger and the questions became bigger and it almost felt like i wasn't on this island anymore i was sailing really away from it and that felt very much like i was sailing away from god and faith and there sort of came a point where i realized that far from sailing away from god god was the sea on which i sailed mm. but also the companion in the boat
1: yeah that's lovely and that's a whole new notion of god isn't it really
0: completely different and one of the mm. one of the interesting things for me was that whilst my view of god was becoming more and more expansive my life was actually becoming more reflective of the kind of, uh, you know, the sort of testimony stories, the parking space type
1: stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Because I was, I was a single parent with two adopted kids and needing to trust God that there would be enough money, that there would be babysitters when I needed it. And I was at, at a point where actually whenever I wanted to do something and I needed to do it, somebody or something would turn up. So I got to the point where rather than saying to people, Well, I'll have to look in my diary and see if I can sort something out, if I thought I ought to do something, I would just say yes. Mm. And the answer would appear. So there was this sort of (laughs) big kind of like this big sort of well, God on the one hand, I theologically I'm not quite sure about this answered prayer thing anymore, but actually practically God is not only the huge vast ocean I'm um, sailing but also the companion in the boat
1: and that's the paradox that I was mentioning yes. earlier that you just go to oh I can't I can't figure this out I just <laughs> can't but this is this is how it is uh, yes. yeah. yeah yeah that's great and you start to base your faith a little bit more on I think on your experience not just what you're told is right yeah
0: yeah. And yeah. part of that part of that dissembling I think is taking apart and disconnecting your experience of God and the way that's been interpreted for you by whichever faith you've been part of
1: yeah and you know I remember when I was a minister doing exactly that thing you know having yeah. to someone says something that I don't understand um and so I'm having to explain like Really trying to convince myself, not them. This is what... so. Even today, like I'm a funeral celebrant now, yeah. and people who have no sort of religious connection don't go to church. They tell me, they tell me all sorts of mystic experiences. Yeah, and once upon a time, I would have wanted to challenge it or filter it through my Christian understanding and my, you know, the training I had at Bible. But now I go, well, that's wonderful. Yeah, you know, you've connected with the divine. Yeah, you know, like, I I d I don't have any experience of angels, but I know very intelligent, rational people who have encountered them, And I no longer feel the need to try and explain it or defend it or or, or, or talk it away because it's not a part of my you'll just go, Well, that, that's extraordinary. And that is a paradox. And it's not that I'm totally irrational. I like this phrase transrational. And mm. I think transrational explains some of the stuff that happens around
0: life at times so i one of the things i do is spiritual direction and i had a conversation Mm -hmm. um a bit ago with somebody who talked about having had a very powerful experience of god when she was quite young never having had a church background and then went to a church and they explained to her what the experience was
1: right yeah
0: And of course, because they seem to understand the experience, you can end up Mm. thinking that the way that somebody has explained all of this to you must be true.
1: Yeah,
0: Particularly if you've had that experience in the context of that community. Mm -hmm. So if it wasn't sort of somewhere else, I think she was on holiday at the time, but if it wasn't kind of on holiday somewhere or on a trip somewhere, but it was actually in the building of the place that, to yeah. become part yeah. of the community
1: in the appropriate place yeah.
0: yes yeah. but then what that means is that your experience you have then interpreted through a particular lens yeah. and,
1: yeah.
0: and we were sort of trying to come up with an analogy for because what she was saying was i think i need to go back and i'm one now wondering whether the reason that i have ended up seeing things in this way is because that's just my cultural default that that's how i was told this looks. yeah So we were having this conversation and one of the things that she was that she was doing was kind of saying I need to go back and see whether the interpretation that I was given was right and I the picture that I had in that conversation was that it's almost like if you think about different ways of seeing the world as being different sets of windows on the sky and sometimes I think what happens is that if it's almost like you walk into a church community or a Christian community a faith community of whatever kind Mm -hmm. and I'm sure that people who are muslims and hindus also have stages of faith yeah
1: i'm sure they do yeah
0: but it's like your current view is giving you one shot through a window Mm. onto the sky and what i was encouraging her to do is to say well just take don't feel that you need to look through somebody else's window
1: (laughs) Mm. yeah that's lovely yeah (laughs) take the window
0: away and see what happens if you just look at the sky
1: yeah yeah yeah, that's really good. I, I think that's right. I, I, and, and I'm sure people in other faiths do. And I think one of the interesting journey that people of all faiths go to is a sort of form of universalism, actually yeah. a journey from tribalism to inclusiveness. Uh, yeah. Inevitably, inevitably, because the more rationally we even think about the concept that hang on, there's this handful of people who believe a certain amount of things and they're the only saved people. Everyone else is a bit, mm, a bit unsure. Uh, but, you know, this bit with this set of beliefs, they're the proper saved people. They've now got to convert everyone and make sure everyone believes what exactly what they believe. The more ridiculous that actually seems, the longer you think about it. You think, well, if there is a God, God's got to love every human being, right?
0: Absolutely. The the moment that broke that for me was watching somebody doing a a very sincere YouTube clip and he was talking about India and saying there are 500 million people in India and we estimate that only, I don't know, 4% of those people are the right kind of Christians and therefore all of these other people are going to hell. And I just thought,
1: oh, wow,
0: uh, wow. That, no, (laughs) no, that doesn't, that kind of doesn't. Work anymore.
1: No, religious fundamentalism is pretty ugly, I think, it's fair to say, and very arrogant, narrow minded. You know, I just got to make sure I'm not arrogant now, Mm. and, you know, black humility, you know, having a different view, you know, because now I could think, well, my view's right because I'm really inclusive, and that's the only way. And, you know, I could be just equally equally obnoxious with my views if I'm not careful.
0: I think there's um a quote from Harry Potter comes to mind there's a bit where dumbledore is having a conversation with harry and says that he thinks that that you shouldn't expect the young to understand what it's like to be old but the old should be able to understand what it's like to be young and yeah. I'm a bit wary of 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 sort of regarding one stage of faith being superior to another but I but there is something yeah. about the fact that if you've been in a particular exactly. place and had a particular view that you can understand what it's like to look at them from that perspective
1: the wise people i know who talk about the stages of faith they always say you transcend each stage but you include it you don't despise yeah. it because yeah. then yeah that that's a, that's a that's an easy street into thinking you're superior to someone who's earlier on the journey definitely don't want to get that uh, go down that road um
0: I was just reflecting, um, as you were talking, remembering the bit which you've previously talked about a bit like the caterpillar jumping and just thinking back to being part of a church in my 20s and honestly thinking, that I was part of the best church in my city. Definitely. Possibly the best church in the UK. And I genuinely had a sense of sadness for people who weren't part of my church. You know that sort of
1: (laughs) (laughs) enthusiastic
0: tribalism.
1: (laughs) Yes,
0: yes, yes. Definitely.
1: I relate to all of that. (laughs) But you weren't. Let me just say, no, you weren't because that was my church. that that was the best one in the uk no that was definitely (laughs) it is funny isn't it yeah it is
0: it is um but uh but also the kind of external the external kind of pressures to do things you know you talked about stage five being a bit like stage three in some ways. But I think that one of the differences is that quite often what you do in terms of service and leadership earlier on, is very much about what you think you ought to be doing. So what's yeah. the right thing to do you with know, that yeah. kind of carrying your cross type stuff. <laughs> um. Other random thoughts that come to me is that actually for people who do end up doing the service and leadership thing, particularly if that becomes professional and particularly yeah. if you do it within the context of an organization that has a very clear view of what you should think and what you should believe, that's a much, much more painful place to be when you begin to ask the questions again.
1: Yeah. Because Yeah. The oh, yeah.
0: expectation is that you are going to be able to stay put. That The faith that you've got is going to remain exactly as it is because otherwise you kind of are going to fall off the end of something. And I wonder yeah. whether we actually infantilize people by demanding that they maintain a particular posture and set of beliefs and that they never kind of move on from that.
1: It, it, yes, we do. And it's really difficult. It's, it's difficult when your whole salary and your housing... Yeah, depends upon doing so. This is very personal to me now, but you, mm. you know, it's really hard when your theology is morphing and changing, and the perception is that that's the last thing it should ever do, it should be the same today, tomorrow, and forever because God is the same today, tomorrow, and forever. So, how can your theology change? Well, now I realize theology is dynamic, of course, it's meant to change. You've yeah. changed as a human, you've grown, and expand, you know physically from a child to an adult once you're an adult you change and you grow you don't stop you know the day you're 21 it's not like oh now you understand everything
0: one of the best things that happened to me in the course of my journey was that i I decided that i needed to find myself a spiritual director because i was in the situation where i needed a church community that would be able to deal with two kids who were fairly disruptive well you've met my youngest he was sitting underneath a duvet under the table in the corridor in the abbey anyway yes but trying to find a community that could both hold us as a family in a way that very often churches with a fairly a fairly sorted out theology often have very good kids work because they've strong-armed people into doing stuff anyway (laughs) but But I was kind of looking for somewhere that would do that, but also a community that would enable me to walk through a faith journey. And it suddenly occurred to me that trying to get all of those things in the same box probably wasn't going to happen. Probably not. Reminded me a little bit I, when I was a, a student. I had a I had a friend who used to go looking for the perfect pair of shoes because she hadn't got much money. <laughs> so she would always want the pair of shoes which would be elegant for a night out, but also robust enough to march across Sheffield in the rain and look at <laughs> the end of it. And <laughs> and there isn't. The, I thought there isn't yeah. something that will do that. And so went and found a spiritual director, and I talked a little bit about where I was at and what was happening. Mm and bless her heart her eyes lit up and she grinned at me and she said how exciting it sounds to me like god is inviting you to grow up
1: (laughs) brilliant (laughs) tell it like it is that's a good spiritual director
0: (laughs) absolutely but the but that kind of this isn't abnormal i don't you don't need sorting out you are on a journey and this is a very normal journey to be on yeah. It was just so freeing and so helpful yeah
1: uh, yeah i mean it's interesting how much of my adult life has been spent telling people either you are normal or or perhaps more correctly there is just no such thing as normal there is just normal doesn't exist not for anyone there's only what's normal for you and uh, i i think that's so important um, and and there is faith journeys, you know, and your faith journey may not fit with that model that I've just presented in any way whatsoever, and that doesn't matter, and it doesn't invalidate it, and it doesn't invalidate the model, but it definitely doesn't invalidate your journey. Yeah, you, you are that unique, and and special, and wonderful, and you know, terrified, frightened. You you, you know, the, welcome to humanity. Welcome to being a human being. Now, can you be a fully alive human being? And I mm-hmm. think jesus is as strong at helping us with that as as he's ever i just think jesus is quite clued up on stuff now i understand (laughs) jesus differently to perhaps i did at the start of the gym and that's okay
0: yeah yeah absolutely yeah Absolutely. I also think you were talking earlier about the fact that we have all different kinds of experiences and I've known people who in the course of sort of re-evaluating things have almost felt the need to deny the things that happened earlier on Mm. in earlier faith stages and Mm. I don't think you need to do that. Mm. I don't think you need to worry Mm. about it. That was a very valid, that was a very valid experience.
1: Yes, it really (laughs) helped you at the time. It was really good at the time. So be thankful for it. Yeah. Don't yes. be embarrassed of it. Don't
0: shame it. It's a good thing. Going back to oh. my sky analogy, it's almost like sometimes people feel the need not to simply take the window away, but to draw a different window and then decide mm. that things which happened before mm. them weren't in their current window. Yes, maybe exactly. Didn't happen. And I don't think you need to do that.
1: But I um, I have to say, I look back on, on the earlier stages of that. I feel but envious. I used to like it when I knew everything and had all the answers. Now it seems like every day that passes now, I know how little I know and how few answers I have. It's much harder in some ways.
0: I think I think an interesting question is is what you do when you find yourself on a journey where things are beginning to come apart. Hmm. And you sense that things are shifting. And I I think the key thing that we've said is that although nobody is standard normal, it is a normal part of the journey. Definitely,
1: absolutely, absolutely right. And and I think perhaps one of the good things now is there is more help available than there used to be, and thanks to modern technology, you know, there are podcasts like yours and even mm. mine, perhaps mm. you know, and and others that that talk about this sort of this hitting the wall in the faith journey, and and actually there's 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 lots of hope the other side you're not weird and you're not strange you're not abnormal it's it's perfectly legitimate normal part of a Christian journey of a faith journey so I think that's the good news that there there is a bit of help out there but of course there's no real substitute for having friends with you you know for having a meal with someone and say I can't make sense of any of this at the moment (laughs) I don't know what to do (laughs) it sounds like you had a really good spiritual director and I'd urge Mm -hmm. people to do that I think if you if you're blessed with a few friends that you could talk honestly with, that's a wonderful thing. And you know, if you have a season of not going to church for a little while, that might help straighten things out for a bit. And then you can always go back with a with a new understanding. So there's plenty of hope.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I think taking a break from church for some people is really, really helpful. I mean, we had an in, an enforced one. Um, of course, yeah, yeah, but <laughs> <Well>, Various enforced. <laughs> enforced yeah but i think i think often that stepping away from the space that you're at actually can be enormously freeing because it can help you to have space to do the thinking that you need to do yeah Yeah. and it's and it's nice the other side of a bit of a mid-faith crisis one of the things that really strikes me is that in lots of ways it doesn't change but it's freer so I still enjoy kind of spiritual practices. I'm just not as angsty mm. about them as I used to be. There is yeah. there is a real reality in my faith experience, but it's much freer than it was. I care a lot less about what other people think. Brilliant. Um, yeah,
1: there's definitely less angst the other side of the, that stage of you know deconstruction. There's, don't you I, I I hope everyone ends up a bit more relaxed. And, and I hope perhaps a bit more loving and patient and kind, you know, that's, that I think is the journey Jesus is leading us in. I mean, our, our, our in-house word for it is Christ-likeness, isn't it? I, I still use that. I think, I think it's as good as any. Yeah. And A a good way to, to know if you, if you, if you're getting on in the journey is are you a bit more patient and are you a bit more kind, you know? Those are, those are questions I try to ask myself at least every year.
0: Yes. yeah (laughs) but the beautiful thing and maybe this is where we finish but the beautiful thing is that 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 you generally end up outside of the system of in and out yeah I heard Greg Boyle talking um I was listening back to a podcast he did with Krista Tippett he's the guy that does the gang stuff in Los Angeles Jesuit but he said imagine a circle of compassion and imagine nobody outside of it
1: yeah that's amazing. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, fantastic.
0: There we go. So, thank you ever so much, Joe. That's been great. hey. Well,
1: listen, and thank you. Thanks for doing the podcast. I mean, I, I really hope and pray that it, it blesses people and helps them along the journey. And I think just to hear your friendly voice voicing these things even can be such a help for people. So, bless you, mate, and thanks for inviting me on.
0: Oh, thank you ever so much. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Loved Called Gifted podcast. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email lovedcalledgifted at gmail.com. You can find a transcript of this podcast at lovedcalledgifted.com. And that's also the place to go if you're interested in the Loved Called Gifted course, or if you'd like to find out about spiritual directional coaching. Thank you for listening.